This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. When he was about nine years old, Benjamin Grosvenor would have told you that Chopin was his favorite composer, and he still loves the music of Chopin. However, Robert Schumann is another composer he's really fascinated with, and on his most recent recording, he's exploring the relationship between Robert Schumann, Clara Schumann, and Johannes Brahms, and that's what we're going to be finding out about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. You've just released your seventh recording on Decca, and it's exploring the relationships between Robert Schumann, Clara Schumann, and Johannes Brahms. And those relationships were pretty complex. So how did you decide to re- represent, you know, those kind of complex relationships throughout this recording? This recording really started with Chrysleriana, which was a piece that I've been playing for a while and that I wanted to record. It's a, it's a piece which is so emotionally turbulent and varied that alongside it, I wanted um, some music that was more static in its mood. And so I thought of Brahms Opus 117. And then it occurred to me that it was interesting that you had a work by young Schumann and a work by an old Brahms. And I wanted to find a way to, to connect them. And although you know, the album isn't about Clara as such. I really wanted her to be there on the disc as as a part of the narrative. I'd always admired this set of variations that Robert wrote on a theme by Clara, which is a movement from his third sonata. Um, And I think it stands stands quite powerfully as a work on its own, even though divorced from the whole. And I like this idea of having Robert's variations on a theme by Clara alongside Clara's variations on a theme by Robert which were both published in the same year. And it happens to be the year that Brahms walked into their life. So that becomes a, quite a significant part of the narrative. But, the, you know, they're, they're, they're so interconnected as figures and personalities in a way. There's so many, there's so many ways you can, you can bring them together because, um, you know, their, their whole lives are just interconnected in this wonderful way. I was reading through some early interviews that you did because you really have been performing, what, for about 25 years or darn close to it, and you're only 30 years old. And when you were asked at age nine who your favorite composer was, immediately you would say Chopin, who you still adore. However, I know that you've also become more fascinated with the music of Robert Schumann over the years. Why is that? He was just so unique, it's, um, and his personality is just larger than life. Um, you know, his music is teeming with emotion, with, with you know, this manic energy, with, with great intimacy. And I think those Chopin sort of despised Schumann, sadly. The other way around, there was Schumann admired and revered Chopin, but unfortunately, the admiration only seemed to go one way. And yet they, they're very interconnected. And I, I think, in a way, Chopin is for many people probably a kind of touchstone on the way to Schumann because there's I think there's there is a similarity in their aesthetic, but Schumann is 
frankly, le- maybe less easy to absorb and just a little more towards the bizarre in some of his output, which makes it perhaps more of an acquired taste and something that you come to a little later. The starting point for this recording is Schumann's Kreutzleriana, and it's an eight-movement work, and it portrays the personality of a fictional character created by E.T.A. Hoffman. Can you tell us a little bit about that character and how it comes through in the music? So Johannes Kreiser was a kind of romanticized idea of a tortured artist, a musician who, with really high ideals, you know, um, striving against the the Philistines and uh, uh, obsessed by the music of Bach, a temperamental musician prone to mood swings and and you know fits of uh, inspiration and then you know depression and I think Schumann just identified with him as a figure. I mean there were sort of many similarities between them. I mean there's even Kreiser has this kind of longing sort of love from afar for his employer's niece. So at Schumann's young age here not able to marry Clara um, because of the father's disapproval. There's a similarity there as well. And it all comes out in this music. The first movement is a kind of highly dissonant version of a Bach prelude, I suppose. Um, But, you know, with this energy that just explodes from the page in the first moment and you, you know you can see cries the you know in a burst of inspiration here and then there are three slow movements which have this great intimacy to them so after this first movement there's the, the real the, the most substantial movement of the set is the second I mean, he said to Clara that this piece was all about, as much about them and their and their lives together. And, uh, you know, it, he said it had many of her glances in it. And I think this second movement, you know, is, is all intimacy and longing and, and love. With these weird interjections. The Hoffman novels are quite strange. There's one where... One of the Kreiser novels, the, the, the way it's structured is that um, there's a narrative written by by a cat, uh, which alternates with a narrative by Kreisler. And the, but the cat is writing his autobiography on pages that Kreisler has used for his. So it alternates between the two. So this is kind of disjointed narrative. And that happens in, in, in this work as well. So in this second movement, you have these interjections of which are much more energetic alongside all this lyricism. Now, there are three slow movements in B-flat major alternated with faster movements in, um, in G minor. This is constant sense of these, as in a lot of Schumann, the, these two characters, Florestan and Eusebius, and um, the, the contrast between manic energy and, and, and really heartfelt intimacy.
It's interesting that you bring up Clara because she apparently was quite disturbed by some of the visions conjured up in Kreitzleriana. Do you know more about that that you can share? Yeah, she said it frightened her. And she was frightened that this was the man that she was to be marrying. Um, It's highly unusual and it's very, um, I mean, emotional content aside, which is, you know, when when it's manic, it has this energy, which is quite extraordinary. It, he does he does really, you know, interesting things compositionally. The the fourth movement, for example, like he uh, in the first section, he subverts every cadence, so it feels like this it's suspended. Like the, you have these descending lines, and then you think it's going to resolve, and then he takes it up again, and then we descend again, and then it doesn't resolve, and it's like it's like a feather kind of coming down and then being blown up again by the wind. It's, for its time, incredibly innovative writing. And then there's this last movement, for example, where he completely subverts our expectations. It's got this scampering figure in the right hand going up and down the keyboard. You could imagine maybe it's the cat (laughs) going up and down the keyboard, perhaps. But the bass, every time it repeats, the bass falls in a different place. Continually subverting our expectations. And... I think Clara only performed certain movements of it. And I think Liszt as well. Although they admired the piece, they thought it was maybe too much for the audience at the time. And I believe that Robert even suggested to Clara that when she plays the last movement, perhaps she should do a crescendo at the end so that the audience would applause. <laughs> it's the idea of a of a piece disappearing and just, um, you know, to pianissimo, and as it does, was was uh, unusual for the time. It's a magical effect. Everything just dissolves like in a puff of smoke, really. Of Schumann's three romances that he wrote for his wife, Clara, you chose to include number two in F-sharp minor. Why did you choose that romance for this journey? So when they were married, he wrote these romances and Clara requested that he dedicate them to her. And she had a great affection for this um, second piece. She said she knew of nothing more tender than this love duet. And you have this melody at the beginning, which is in both hands with both thumbs. As she said, it's it's an incredibly tender love duet. And it remained a special piece for her throughout her life. And it was the last piece that she requested on her deathbed and she, I think her, her grandson played it for her. So it's a piece that um, is, is of a lot of significance. And, you know, considering that Chrysleriana was, Schumann really wanted to dedicate it to Clara, but, you know, there was this whole thing with her father and not wanting them to marry. And she was afraid that if he dedicated it to, to her, um, she wouldn't be able to play it. So... Um, in the end, he dedicated it to Chopin instead. But this this piece was one of the first to be dedicated to her, so uh, I think it's significant for that reason. Benjamin, one of the things that you have been praised for is your ability to play with incredible expressiveness, and you do that so beautifully. And you bring the true emotion out in a piece. 
And I think that really comes through in that romance, certainly all of the pieces on this recording, but I really noticed it in this romance. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what goes through your mind as you're playing it? Oh, I mean, I'm just following the contours of the music, really. I mean, you build up a an image of a piece in your head and the sounds that you want, and then you, you're pull, pulling, trying to pull that from the instrument. So I suppose... I, I'm I'm simply thinking of the music and you know hearing the colours that I want simultaneously to getting them from the piano. There's the flower piece, Blumenstock. Why did you choose to include that piece on this recording? So I would always play that as a kind of a prelude to cries Rihanna in my recitals it was written around the same time and um it was I think Schumann's response to Clara's request to write pieces that the public would be more easily able to digest um pieces that weren't too short or too long um with titles that perhaps didn't have kind of literary complicated literary references and so this one uh, you know flower piece is like that and he 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 said he wrote it for ladies and it was his trying to make himself popular among the amateur pianists of uh, of of the time and he he was a little dismissive of the piece uh, it's not as famous as the arabesque which you could say is its sister work but i think it's a wonderful piece and filled with so much even though it's quite short and in its construction it's very interesting he called it a variation on no theme but it's kind of a set of variations on two themes one of which emerges as the piece um, unfolds and it's got this kind of I guess like a lot of his music it's quite fairly fragmented with with different sections which vary a lot in their emotional content. Uh, I, I think it's a real gem in his output. Yeah, everything flows really beautifully. It's clear that you put a lot of thought into how you wanted things to flow um, from piece to piece. The Piano Sonata Number no. 3 in F minor, the Grand Sonata. Did you say that's based on a theme by Clara? Yes, so the third movement is a set of variations on a theme by Clara. It's a theme that we don't, we don't really know where it comes from, but it's sort of a, a descending scale, really. And it's a theme that permeates a lot of his music, you could say. I, I mean, it's there in Chrysoriana. The, you know that that shape and um, is there, and like in the second movement, he, the way that he ends the phrase, you see this similarity with this theme. And this movement is based on that, uh, and I, I, it's quite tragic in its in its emotional content. It's quite dark, very brooding, and I've always found it very affecting. Even though it's part of a sonata by itself, it somehow seems to be very powerful to me. I also read that after he completed it, he gave it to Johannes Brahms. Do you know anything more about that? I don't know about that specifically, but he uh, this was published in, I think, 1853, which I, th- I think is the year that Brahms uh, knocked on the door. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Clara also wrote this set of variations on a theme by Robert. Mm-hmm. 
and the interesting connection with Brahms here is that it's the same theme that Brahms writes his variations on a theme by Robert. And it's the same. It's the same music, and I believe Brahms wrote it a year later. So the first theme is is exactly the same. It's a, a movement from Schumann's Punterblätter, and they, what they do with it is so different. And the Brahms obviously is incredibly famous. Um, but I think the Clara Schumann variations deserve to be too. Uh, she was, uh, she knew really knew what she was doing at the piano, and the, the harmonic variation that she uses throughout is so subtle and and masterful. Uh, I really think that this was a piece worth recording. So I'm happy to have included it on the album. You have created your own arrangement of Schumann's evening song. Why did you want to do that, and how did you make it your own? So it's quite a simple arrangement, to be honest. This is a piece for four hands, and it's one part of his set, 12 pieces for small and large children. It's a really beautiful piece. Uh, I've played it in... um, I mean, there's a lot of transcriptions of it. I played it with violin quite a lot as, as an encore and duo recital programs. And, but as a four-hand piece, it translates very easily to two hands. I mean, you just need to change a bar or two to make sure you can, you can you know, stretch everything. But, you know, pretty much it's a almost straight translation of the piece from four hands to two hands. So it's not much of a transcription, to be honest, but I thought it's such a beautiful piece. Uh, it's really one of my favorite works of his and it's not very not very long but it's just so affecting and um i really wanted it included on the album why is it one of your favorites i mean you said it's a beautiful piece but what else about it makes it one of your favorites it's like a prayer really i mean it's just got this stillness and lyricism and atmosphere which is really moving So I'm going to jump to the intermezzi that close out this recording. They have been referred to almost as monologues. And so I'm wondering why you felt this was the best way to close out your recording, to wrap everything up. Well, when I initially thought of including this, it was, in a way, music that was quite contrasted to Chrysler and its atmosphere. Like, it's music that... Whereas Kreisian is just teeming with energy and going all over the place. It's music that sits and is is is, is pensive and brooding and, and as you say, like a monologue. Um, and I think in that intimate way, uh, it's it's nice to close the album. Brahms said that they were lullabies for his sorrows, and there's very much of a sense of an old man looking over his life. But there were also works in which he was. Is still in a, in a dialogue with Clara. She was the first person to hear them. Um, he sent them to her, and she made a comment of how you know it sort of almost re- reawoke her connection to music, just hearing and playing these pieces. They're dark works. They're dark and filled with grief. And it's interesting to think what Schumann might have written if he'd lived as long as Brahms had and whether this energy that he had there in Chrysliana, um whether whether he might have written something, uh, you know, along these lines as he reflect, reflected on his life, which he sadly wasn't able to do.
It's a new recording exploring the fascinating relationship between Robert Schumann, Clara Schumann, and Johannes Brahms with British pianist Benjamin Grosvenor. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Almacher. 